any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Dr. Doreen Grand-Pichet is the... Dr. Doreen is an expert in autism. Doreen Grand-Pichet. Dr. Grand-Pichet. Dr. Doreen Grand-Pichet. Dr. Doreen Grand-Pichet is a visionary in the field of autism. Now you can ask her questions on Ask Dr. Doreen. Good morning and welcome to Ask Dr. Doreen on the Autism Network. I'm Shannon Penrod and look who's here, Dr. Doreen Grampuche. Good morning, Dr. Grampuche. Good morning, everyone. So nice thrilled to have you, you here. Uh, you're looking lovely in spring and yellow today. Thank you so much. And as I told you, I am suffering from day after booster shots. So there we go. Be nice to me. We're going to be very nice to you today. Amanda's already sending you blue hearts, star smiles in the house. And Ka is here. Good morning to Ka. Morning. Uh, we're excited that you guys are here. We're live right now. It is the 19th of April, 2020, 2022. I have to like check the date because I can't even believe what, what it is. Uh, but we're live right now on Facebook, on YouTube, on Twitter, and about a dozen other places. Traven is showing those to you right now. We want to remind you that this is also a podcast and will be available as such. Wherever you get your podcasts, it's a free download. That'll be available probably later on in the afternoon. We love that uh, right now we're the number one rated autism podcast worldwide for the second year in a row. That's because you guys have liked, shared, commented, reviewed and all of those things are super important. We ask that you continue to do that. If you find something here that's helpful to you, try to set yourself a goal of sharing it with at least one person. If you do, then they have access to the information as well. And you know, that's what we're all about here. Dr. Grampichet donates this hour every week so that she can answer your questions from around the world. So right now you can write in a question that you have. Please be as specific as possible, but understand that even though she is a brilliant expert in the field of autism and has been working in this field for more than 40, I said four zero years uh, with all kinds of individuals. I know it's just shocking. Um, no one believes it because it sounds so crazy and her skincare regimen is so good. But it is true. More than 40 years in the field working with all different, different, you know, um, different ages uh, different challenges, working with the individuals, recognizing them as individuals, and also helping the families to be better support and to support themselves. Those are things that are very near and dear to her heart. So she donates this time. Please ask her questions, but understand that there is no expert in this or any other field of this nature that can give individual specific advice in this format. So we all understand that and be as specific as possible. Make sure you tell age and pertinent information so that Dr. Dr. what actually will happen is Dr. Doreen will ask you questions um, and then we continue on from there. We do have some questions that people wrote in in advance, uh, but we love to take them live. Kathy has just read, written in and said, I'm panicking because my child graduates in 30 days. What happens after there's no more school? Kathy, we're sending you hugs. And, and congratulating you as well, because yeah. that's Amazing milestone, and uh, you know, let's let's talk about that, Kathy. Why are you scared? Um, is he able to? Uh, is he at, at a level where you're thinking potentially he might go to college, or do you think that he needs to find a job? So, whichever it is, there's plenty of time to prepare. Of course, he has the summer off. Everybody should have the summer off. 
Um, but there's lots and lots of resources for you now. Don't panic. It's wonderful that he's graduated. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, sometimes we create words within the community to, to discuss certain events. Mm-hmm. And when our kids leave school, we are very fond of calling it the cliff. Because yeah. there, and that's the phrase that we all use, right? Because it feels like you have all these services. And I know many of us are like, really, that was a lot of services. But yes, you do have significantly more access to services. And then they reach a certain age. And it feels like you got to reinvent the wheel sometimes. Um, but uh, I love that Kathy has written back in and said, no, he's just now having some experience in a retail job eight hours a week. That's fantastic. Terrific. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely wonderful. And maybe over the summer, he has the opportunity to increase that a little bit. And it's just perfect timing because over the summer, he can gradually find his way. Um, don't worry. You know, a lot of times, it's funny, Shannon, last night I was up in the middle of the night and I was thinking that so much of what governs how we function and feel is just fear or apprehension or it's just kind of like fear of something that hasn't happened yet. And, you know, and the truth is, whatever happens, Kathy, you will deal with it. You've been, you know, look at how much you've dealt with up to this point in his life. And he has done well. I just, and sometimes our kids really surprise us. And uh, Kathy just wrote in and said, I feel the cliff. Yeah. me, You know, I have a neurotypical son and I felt the cliff too. <laughs> like I think everybody does. Yeah. I think it's just that we worry for them and we think of all the things they are not able to do. And sometimes they will surprise us and come back and show us that there are many, many things they're capable of. And, you know, uh, Shannon, you are, as you know, I often come to you and say, leave him alone, let him do his thing, because he can. (laughs) (laughs) Are you telling on me? (laughs) Is that what's happening here? (laughs) No, but I mean, honestly, sometimes we're just overbearing moms and we worry too much, right? And it's- I remember, honestly, I remember when my son moved out, I was like, how is he going to survive? Like, how is he going to eat? You know, every, and then like, before I knew it, he had, he was, he put himself on one of these delivery services or whatever and learned how to cook and lost weight. And like, I was like, okay, I guess he's functional. (laughs) <laughs> so I think um let's just wait and see what happens, Kathy. It's congratulations. Honestly, it's a huge milestone. A lot of people don't uh get to that point. So that's wonderful. And I think you wrote his thing would be staying in his room, only coming out to eat mostly. And that's, you know, he will um, you know, if you're worried about his social life, that's something that can you can certainly try to find activities that he would like to go and join um a lot of our kids are not athletic necessarily but maybe he is maybe he likes music maybe he likes languages um maybe he likes uh woodworking there's just so many things out there and if he has something that is a hobby that you can enroll him in, in addition to his job, you know, that will be great. Honestly, a lot of us uh, socialize mostly with the people we work with. 
So uh, just plan for those things and keep telling us as things happen once he's out there in the real world and, and we'll give you some ideas and suggestions. What do you think? Well, I want to know what is he doing in his room when the when he's in there and only comes out to eat? Like, is he playing video games and is he playing video games with friends or with, you know, friends that he doesn't know and never gets together with? Um, because, you know, it's funny, Temple Grandin was on the show yesterday and, and she's got a, a new book out that's called Navigating Autism. And a lot of it is about how we all underestimate our kids and that how we really need to be pushing them. And, you know, Temple always says, don't let them just go play video games. If you're, you know, there has to be something with it. If they're playing video games, it has to be that it's a social time with people that they know. Um, if, if, if they're loving a video game, you know, have them start to design their own video game that we got to push them a little bit. Plus, which I notice, yeah, he's playing video games and videos, yeah. but if there's a way that you can make that social. Now I have a suggestion for you, Kathy, there's, um, it's a free resource. Um, there's a, a thing called movie chat with Chelsea Darnell. That's just for older, it's supposed to be 18 and up, but if he's about to be 18, I'm sure it's fine. Um, they, there's a movie announced early in the week. And then on Saturday evenings, Chelsea Darnell, who is a young, fabulous woman on the spectrum, um, gets together with a group of other people. And the first five or 10 minutes, they discuss the movie, but then they break out into other discussions. And it's fantastic. And it's a free resource. You can register for it. Um, over at the Ed Asner Family Center. But I really love it because it's free. It's social. It's usually something, a movie that they would like to watch or have already watched. And it's an opportunity to get together with other people. And then what we've seen is other, they have offshoots that, you know, people go, oh, well, I like this game. And then they go play that game together. Because if it's, if it's social, a lot of our kids were forced to be social through playing video games during this yeah. COVID mess, right? Um but the other thing you mentioned is he comes out to eat. And I, for the first time, like we just haven't been eating in a lot of restaurants. We've done a lot of takeout, but I took my son to lunch the other day and I forgot how important taking our kids out to restaurants is, Dr. Grampuche. I totally yeah. forgot. It was the most luscious hour and a half I've spent in the last two years because he was eating, but he he, he like, you know, we're at the phase where I'm not cool and nobody wants to talk to me. And I, you know, act like I must know something, but clearly I don't know anything. That's mm -hmm. how it, that's how the thing is in my house right now. We're at that age and, and stage, but we had the most lovely conversations. So if, if he'll come out to eat, great, get him all the way out the house in the car and someplace to eat. And we have the rule that the phones have to go down, facing downward on the table during meals out. Yeah, that's a great idea, Shannon. I love that. But and also just getting him into food related activities. There's so much cool stuff that you can do with cooking or food prep, which might be something that he's interested in for a job as well, right? So a lot of our kids are have like special skills that we're not quite aware of. And why not become a cook or a chef? Um, so that's something you might want to engage in as well. And I liked Amanda's idea as well, that which is, you know, just bring his video stuff outside of his room, maybe give him another area in the house where he can participate and do those types of things. 
And nowadays, there's a lot of video games um, that are kind of family oriented, but you do them in groups. So, I mean, like, try to see if you can bring some of his interests and merge them with the families. I'm not saying, like, I, I don't, I never really want to take away something that's a major reward. Um, and so I think it would be appropriate to allow a certain amount of time in his room doing whatever he likes to do, because sometimes like our kids need a couple of hours of privacy, especially if it's a young man and, uh, you know, allow that, but then also as like re regulate the day. Right. So like, you know, we're all going to go for a walk. We're all going to go out to lunch or we're going to prepare lunch. Um, where a, a lot of times parents tell me that if they uh, bring an animal into the house, like a pet, a dog or a cat, that also increases some of the social behavior. Uh, so these are some ideas to see if they can help you. Also, um, I saw another parent was writing in and talking about not doing chores it's yeah. always also fun to start with fun chores like grocery shopping perhaps it's not that it's necessarily <laughs> fun <laughs> well it depends on what you buy right especially if it's a child who's or an, uh, an adult who's interested in food uh it could very well be that they participate in purchasing some of the items that are later going to go into cooking so that kind of stuff might be interesting as well there you go. Yes, because uh, Goodell wrote in and said that her her son is twenty five, high functioning, but when it comes when he comes home from after his work, he doesn't want to help around the house, and um, they they could really use some help because they're not feeling well. Um, so he doesn't do any of the cleaning. Uh, he's he's wanting to leave. He wants to live on his own, but he doesn't know how to do any of the the housework, clean, cook, or anything. Twenty five. Yeah. He's never. Tight. Never no, it's it. not. It's not. And it's hard. It's hard when your child is 25, because it's just a little bit harder to get them to do the things you want them to do. But as I, I always, so when I start a behavioral program for any child, the very first thing I say is, what are the reinforcers? Because if you don't know what rewards that individual, then you have no behavioral control. You just don't. You have to identify things that are rewarding to the individual. So in this case, I don't know, uh, Goodell, what are the things that are interesting or rewarding to him and whether or not you can withhold them based on him doing some chores. So for instance, most of us, our biggest reward is just money, right? We go to work in order to earn money so that we can buy things with it, right? Money is a token and each of us uses it in different ways. Some people will use it for travel, others for shoes, for clothing, for food, whatever, but we trade it in for rewards, right? So I don't know if you can perhaps put him on some sort of schedule like, hey, you know, you're going to clean the house and I will pay you 10 bucks, whatever, but it has to be valuable enough for him uh, the other thing is, obviously, he's part of the family, and you shouldn't necessarily have to pay him to do these things. Um, but, you know, we do a lot of times with our kids, we do give them uh, pocket money for chores. That's not an uncommon thing to do. 
And also, you, I, you know, think outside the box. What are some other things he might like to go to the movies? And if he cleans the house like five out of seven days at the, at the weekend, you'll take him to the movies. Uh, he might like to, I don't know, uh, you know, drive around in the car if he's allowed to. Those types of things. Think about the stuff that he likes and make them contingent on one of the tasks. Uh, cooking is a particularly difficult one because a lot of our kids don't know how to cook. But certainly you can require that he assist you so that he learns. Um, and there are lots of basic things that our kids can learn to make uh, just out of the box. But, you know, it's a matter, honestly, Adele, it's not a matter of him not wanting to do it. It's a matter of there being no consequence if he doesn't do it. So there has to just be a consequence. You have to kind of make it clear to him that you really want these things. And if he does these things, there will be a reward. And if he doesn't do these things, there will be no reward. That's kind of a, the important key to it. And a lot of people are writing in helpful suggestions. Um, Kathy actually said that her son, they have him shop with them so that he, they know he has the food that he wants to eat. Uh, Kaz says that it's uh, great to do grocery shopping for a meal that they want to prepare. And Amanda yeah. says they can participate in meal planning and picking out different recipes and then helping cooking. And, you know, sometimes that means that you search the internet for the recipe that they want, then they have to help you track down the ingredients. And maybe they only cook one part of it in the beginning. Yeah. But, that, but what, what that does is it gives some autonomy because it says, well, here's what I'd like to eat. Um, I, find, I find that that's always um, interesting because everybody has opinions about what they want to eat. So absolutely. absolutely. Love that. I wanted to do a follow up on something that somebody wrote in last week. They were asking for help because they uh, have an 11 year old. And by the way, I'll share the pictures with you, Dr. Crampuche. This is the most handsome 11 year old I've ever seen in my life. He's just so precious. Um, but they're having trouble getting started with ABA services. They're in Oklahoma. I've gotten more information and they were saying it's just so expensive that even with their insurance, that the weekly cost of it is around $1,100 a week. So I wrote back and said, but, but we need, but that's, here's the problem is that people give us the small picture and they don't always give us the big picture. So if your ABA provider is telling you, well, the out, you know, the out-of-pocket cost for you weekly is $1,100. We need to know what your insurance out-of-pocket ma maximum is for the year. And I yeah. find Dr. Grampiche that a lot of parents, you know, we didn't, we didn't major in insurance I know. and and now that our child has autism, I almost feel like in the beginning classes that there should be a class on finances and insurance in the very beginning when your kids are diagnosed. Um, right. Yeah. Because so, if you don't know, you don't know. And I see families, it's that time of year, it's April. And what I see are two things. I see parents deciding not to start ABA because it's too expensive or they started in January, started doing ABA and now, or February they started, and now they're like, it's just too expensive. And they stop services now in April, not understanding what out-of-pocket maximum is. So can we, can we yeah. talk about that for a minute? Do you yeah, want to share? You want me to share? Yeah, no, I can talk about that a little bit. And then please feel free to share. So there's generally two types of uh, costs that a parent will have. It's deductible and it's copay. And both of those are considered parent responsibility. 
and they both contribute to this thing in your policy called out-of-pocket maximum. So it's like a pool where you spend X amount in the year, which you pay yourself, and whether it's a copay or a deductible, those both come out of your pocket, but it hits a maximum. And once it hits that maximum, everything, the insurance pays 100% after that. So that's kind of important because like some people will come and say, okay, their policy has a uh, $25 per session did, um, copay, which can be intense. Like, you know, if you have 10 sessions a week, that could be 250 bucks a week. That's a lot for, for people. Um, and then there's also, let's say, a you know thousand dollar deductible, which is like a, a, you have to pay that upfront before any benefits kick in. So together, uh, honestly, I'll tell you, like I've looked at so many different policies because when I was in charge of card, I would have to select a policy every year for thousands of employees, and even kind of the worst policies that are out there, the out-of-pocket max will be around 5,000, 7,500. It's somewhere around there, maybe even 10,000, but that's it, right? So the suggestion that I have for you, you have two options. Yes, you can apply for a type of Medicaid account as your secondary. That is absolutely possible. So if your current insurance doesn't pay something, and it'll go to your secondary account. Um, the other thing you can do is you can certainly apply for help with those out-of-pocket expenses. Um, my organization, which is Autism Care Today, this is our nonprofit organization, we are very dedicated to paying out-of-pocket expenses for families because you know, if I want to support you in getting ABA and I pay you, let's say, $5,000, I'm not going to buy a whole lot of ABA. But if I give you $5,000 and it maxes out your out-of-pocket, then it allows you to get 100% payment for the rest of the year. And that is what you want. Insurance resets usually in January. So you'll start all over again every January. So but please don't immediately give up. The best thing to do is to be persistent, call uh, some organizations, some providers, uh, ABA providers have really good people in their uh, billing or insurance contracts department. We used to have someone very, very knowledgeable at CARD years ago, but if you can't get that information from the provider, call your insurance. And don't give up on it. Keep asking questions and say, how is this possible? Like, how am I supposed to get this coverage? And again, you can also get Medicaid funding to support you if, if your uh, own insurance doesn't cover it. Yeah, I, these are the conversations I like to have because this is like the, the arrow on the FedEx truck. Do you guys all know about this? That there's a hidden arrow on the FedEx truck uh, logo. And if you don't notice it and nobody points it out to you, you may not see it. But once somebody points it out to you, you're going to see it forever, right? And, and this is a little bit of a hidden thing. It, and I, I know I used to be one of the, I was like, how is everybody paying for this? How is it that everyone in the world seems to be able to afford ABA for their kids? And, and you know, there are a bunch of us that can't. And once you start to understand how other people are paying for it, you go, oh, this is so manageable. 
So I'm, I'm just going to condense it down that I actually looked it up before we came on the air that every year there's a legal limit here in the United States, what your out-of-pocket maximum for an individual to, will be. Because, you know, they give you the number and the first number is for individual and the second number is for family. And a lot of us end up thinking that the family number is the one that we need to be watching. Not when you have a kid with autism. You need to be looking at the kid number, the individual number. The legal limit, even if you have the worst policy in the land this year, it's $8,700. That means that if you start ABA today, the most you are going to pay for it is $8,700. You probably are going to pay less than that. But think about that for a second. I know we still get a heart attack and go, I don't have $8,700 laying around. Um, but then you you supplement that with grants and, and things of that nature so that you can get that number whittled down. And most people, it's not the $8,700 number. So when, a, when an ABA company tells you, well, your responsibility is going to be $1,100 a week and you go, that's not the important number your out-of-pocket might be $3,000. And if it is, that means that for three weeks, you're going to pay that 1100 not even three total weeks, that $1,100. And then the rest of the year you get for free. And I love to draw the map for families once I know their numbers and go, okay, so this is the amount that you're going to have to pay. And here's how much you can get. That for some families, that means that they're going to get $120,000 worth of therapy and they're only going to pay $3,000 and they go and get a grant for the $3,000. Yeah. If I if I said to you, I'm going to give you $120,000 right now, but you have to give me $3,000, you'd be figuring out how to get the $3,000 because it's a good deal. So I always tell people, don't panic. If you need help figuring, I like write to me. I'll happily like get on a call with you and figure out your numbers for you because if you can get that much therapy, I know it's life-changing for your, for your family and for your kids. It's a really uh, worthwhile thing to know. All right. Um, but we just I just feel like April is the time of year to have that conversation. Then we'll talk about it again in November when you're picking your plan for next year. Um, also wanted to say that Renee and Elvira want to know what your skincare regimen is. <laughs> this is what we all want to know. Yeah. Thank you. Are, you. are you willing to say? <laughs> What's that? I said it's called the Zoom filter. <laughs> <laughs> it's not. I've seen her up close and personal. Uh, she's got good skin. You've got good genes, too. Your mom looks great. Thank you. Uh, but I think you do take good care of yourself. Um, I don't know. I think so, a little bit. I also think working with kids keeps people young, because I see all the people who work with kids look younger. It must be a thing. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I think in my case, I'm Middle Eastern, you know, so our skin is generally like darker and it doesn't show a lot of response to the sun and so on. So maybe that's what it is. I don't know. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's having a good heart too. Uh, Mm -hmm. Our friend from Ireland says, good morning, ladies. I was hoping you would give me some advice regarding sertraline. Uh, my son was previously on, I'm, I'm going to slaughter these names, fluoxetine for, for anxiety, but was changed to sertraline due to increase in his OCD. Mm-hmm. Started at 25 milligrams, now at 50. On the new tablet, we are experiencing more anger, agitation, and lack of interest in activities. Can sertraline cause these side effects? Also, uh, he, he also okay. takes uh, one, two milligrams. Cool. And obviously I gave the disclaimer before, you know, you can't, you can't prescribe in this, but you can talk about um, side effects. Yeah. 
So fluoxetine and sertraline are both SSRIs and they are not going to cause those types of symptoms that you're talking about. If anything, sertraline's side effects are things like nausea, dizziness. It is possible, obviously, that he has nausea and that's what's making him angry. That is a possibility, but it is not a, it's like he could be dizzy and therefore agitated from that. Um, but it is a good medic. It is one. It's a good SSRI for OCD type behaviors. Um, guanfacine could be causing agitation, although two milligrams is pretty low. Uh, but guanfacine is more for ADHD or you know uh, attention deficit. So that's a possibility. But go back and talk to his physician. Also remember, SSRIs generally take three weeks to have any kind of effect. So it is also possible he's coming off the fluoxetine and that's intense. Changing your SSRI is an intense process. So I would try to tolerate about a month um, of any kind of change and then go talk to the physician because they'll wanna adjust things for you. Okay. Uh, Fatasha says, hi, Dr. Doreen, my son is 28 months old, showing signs for ASD, also nonverbal. I'm so overwhelmed and scared, mm. trying to help him before it's too late. Going to ABA, it's a two and a half hour drive for, two, for, excuse me, for 12 hours a week on a wait list to get 24 hours, but that's the max what they are offering. Afraid it won't be enough. Will it be successful to become his therapist, learning ABA um, and skills he needs to develop? And they're in Holland. Yeah. Yes. I don't want you. I mean, it's just it's it's crazy to be driving two and a half hours. That yeah. is just stressful for you, stressful for your child. I'm just unbelievable. There are a lot of different ways that you can learn ABA. Uh, through various trainings online. I do heavily recommend that you learn ABA techniques. I don't know, unfortunately, what there is available in Holland. Um, there is ABA in Germany. They're all over Germany. Remember the name of the organization. Uh, what I would do if I were you is to look up on the BACB.org website, which is the Behavior, uh, um, Behavior Analysis Certification Board, BACB online. And there they have a list of all BCBAs, board certified behavior analysts all over the world. Although they may have taken down Europe because they stopped governing uh, countries outside of the U.S., but those are folks who are trained in behavior analysis and licensed in behavior analysis. I would also contact the local universities um, and try to see if you can find uh, people who are learning ABA at the university level. There are organizations in the U.S. who will provide supervision to you online. Uh, but you'll still have to find uh, behavior technicians or behavior therapists. And you they don't have to be trained when you find them. You could just find, you know, we've done this so many times with people where they would hire uh, college students in psychology, and then you would uh, get them trained online. 
and then a supervisor comes on board and develops a program for your child and then helps teach them um, also what to do. But your child is just slightly over two, which is wonderful because two-year-olds are super, super easy to work with and the team can work with your child. Honestly, in your case, given that, given that you're two, two and a half hours away from the closest center, I would focus a lot on that uh, as opposed to trying to get ABA from a center. And it is hard. I see some of the comments coming in. It yeah. is very difficult to find really good quality, high quality ABA. Uh, but I think there are signs that you can tell if it's not high quality because <clears throat> high quality ABA might start with very high level of demand for your child. But over you know, the course of the first few months, your child starts to enjoy it and you see them learning very, very rapidly. Um, I think ABA is the uh, most evidence-based and supported throughout the world because it's very quickly effective. And um, having said that, there are, we both know, Shannon, there are providers of ABA out there who are just not good and they're also not able to see the individual as a, as a whole individual. So. You know, uh, there's a, a folks out there who might have had a bad experience with ABA. Um, and that's really unfortunate because there are people out there who are also very, very good and make tremendous progress with your kids. Yeah, I love the conversation that you guys are having. And I, I really appreciate Wick has written in and said, you know, that the, in their opinion, ABA isn't necessarily the be all end all. But I really appreciate Wick what, uh, Wick, what you said which is that um, it is better than nothing and that autistic adults will tell you that old, and this is what Wick's quote, but I agree with it completely, that old ABA methods uh, are abusive and traumatic. Any teaching method, if done incorrectly, can be abusive and traumatic. Um, so it's so important that if you're going to do ABA, that as a parent, you educate yourself on what true good ABA is so that you can make sure that the people are doing it properly. And one of the things that we do here, Wick, is talk specifically about that and about making sure that you're getting the good quality ABA because Dr. Grampiche will tell you that ABA is based on the principle, you know, everything that she's been talking about, that you have to have a good reinforcer or you may not be motivated to do something. That that's really the heart of ABA, that it's got to be worth your while. And you'll hear Dr. Grampiche, my favorite quote of Dr. Grampiche's, she says all the time, it has to be fair. That if we're asking you to do something, there has to be a big enough incentive and reward that's meaningful to you. It has to be fair. And when people do ABA wrong and ask somebody repeatedly to do something and there's nothing in it for them... Um, and they don't understand what's happening. Yeah, that can be abusive and traumatic. So I'm so glad you brought it up, Wick. But I do want to make sure that we tell this mom in Holland that, you know, what Dr. Grampiche just said, it is the most effective way of teaching anyone. ABA, if done properly, it is the most effective teaching tool in the world. And it has tons of science behind it. And it is effective at teaching individuals who are on the autism spectrum. And it does not have to be abusive or traumatic. If you know me, if someone came to abuse or traumatize my child, the, the forks and knives would come out, right? Like, yeah. My child 
that five years where I sat and watched a video monitor and watched everything that was going on. Nobody was going to abuse my child. So um, I just want to make sure that we get all those sides of it because it's so confusing, um, you know, for, for the mom in Holland who says, oh, I thought that was the thing. ABA is the thing, but it's got to be good ABA. Let yeah. me be clear about that. Did I leave anything yeah. No, 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 you were, that was perfect. And I, I see a little bit of dialogue on here uh, between about ABA not being appropriate for higher functioning individuals. So I just want to comment on that as well, because, um, you know, first of all, I, I want to say that uh, when you're diagnosed, you don't receive a one number. If you do, the person who diagnosed you did it wrong. There are two numbers, and this is something that happens over and over. Um, and these numbers have to do with the severity, not really the severity, but the amount of support that you require. The first number has to do with the amount of support that the individual requires in the area of social communication. And the second number has to do with the amount of support the individual requires in the area of repetitive self-stimulatory, what we call stereotypic behaviors. Now, the, each of those goes from one to three, uh, with one requiring the least support and three requiring the most support. And so you can, for instance, have um, uh, autism or ASD, uh, with, you know, the first number being a one and the second number being a three. That means that, for instance, in social communication, the individual has requires very little support. That means they're very minimally affected, but they do have ritualistic or sensory issues to an extreme level, and that therefore receives a three. That individual, I just want to make a point, is going to be a very different individual than someone whose numbers are 3-1, for instance, because that means you have a very severe disability when it comes to language and social skills, but you don't really have stereotypic or sensory issues. See, so it's very important to have both of those numbers, and over time, I don't know why people have kind of forgotten about that and have, have dropped that off. So that's one thing to just clarify. There are two numbers involved when you get the diagnosis. I wouldn't really put too much um, into these numbers because they are a subjective evaluation of the clinician who is diagnosing you. Um, if they are doing some form of testing like the ADOS or ADIR, maybe that will allow them to identify what your level of severity or need or support is. And also the reason that these numbers are not that important is that hopefully they change, right? When you first start in the, in the world of autism, our kids usually require a lot of support because they are learning very, very rapidly. And gradually, obviously, if the, if the education they're receiving or the therapy they're receiving is useful, helpful, then over time, the level of support they need is less. That's the goal of therapy. So um, ideally, even if you're starting at a 3-3 level, you end up at 1-1 and then don't need support at all. So those are that's kind of how the process works. Now, I read that a parent who was saying that, like, it's probably ABA is probably not important, not uh, um, applicable 
for very high functioning, let's say individuals who are one, one, um, and that they received or their son received CBT, which is cognitive behavior therapy. That's exactly to the point and, and social uh, skills. And that's a really, really great example of a good ABA provider because ABA is an overcompassing, it's applied behavior analysis. And for the higher functioning individuals, you actually do CBT and social skills. And so that's really important to know that cognitive behavior therapy sort of merges with the higher levels of ABA, which are called natural environment training, NET, the higher type of ABA. And so I do absolutely, being a behaviorist, being a psychologist, I very much support CBT. I think it is definitely the right way to go. In fact, I think the type of ABA, which is called discrete trial training, is not appropriate at all for very high functioning people. CBT is extremely applicable, as is NET, your natural environment training, which is a form of ABA. So kind of trying to clear up the misunderstandings there. Amazing. Um, and I have to say, um, one of the things that makes me crazy is that we hear all the time um, that families will come to us and say, well, my child has a one. And I know you go crazy because you want to hear both numbers, but um, but they'll say they have a one. So the doctor told me they don't need ABA and the doctor sends them home and says, okay. oh, you don't need that. Your child, your child has so many skills, send them home. And that makes me literally break out into hives because the actual designation, if you read it, it and you mentioned it, it's, it's about how much support you need. And mm -hmm. one says they still need support. <laughs> they just don't need as much as a three. But the very nature of it says needs support, but it says a smaller amount of support. So where doctors go, oh, you don't need support. It literally makes me break out into hives. But Kathy asked, does anyone have a go-to book for parents of newly diagnosed kiddos? I have a friend whose child was just diagnosed. I'm not sure where to point them. Oh. I am going to toot my own horn here for just yes. a second and tell you that, Kathy, I have a book. Unfortunately, it's not out until July 6th, but you can pre-order it now. It's available on Amazon um, and it's called Autism Parent to Parent. Uh, and I think the subtitle awesome. of it, should I should learn it, but it's something like Sanity Saving Tricks Every Parent of an Individual on the Autism Spectrum Should Know. And it has a foreword by Dr. Grant Pichet. And hopefully Traven will find the link and put it up there for you. You can pre-order it. It has everything that we've talked about from a parent point of view. Um, and of course, then, then to get the, cl the clinical side of it, Dr. Grant Pichet, tell them about your book. Which I'm still on chapter three of it. I'm trying to write a book, guys, which is focused on just the early experience of, of having getting the diagnosis and kind of what I want to say, like the 10 steps or the things you must do early on and these are i mean i'll just go through it in my head right now the first thing i suggest to parents is to take time to feel your own emotions a lot of times when we get our when our child is diagnosed there's such an overwhelming period of fear that we just start running in whatever direction is in front of us just to try to come out of this fear 
And what I really suggest is to, to sit with the emotion for a little bit and to really allow yourself to kind of like, if you're going through grief, which a lot of parents do go through initially, allow that cycle of grief to, to, to be finished. You know, like, and that's kind of like fear, depression. And then a lot of parents will just go into like denial phase. And that could go on for a long time. But recognize your own emotions as you're experiencing this because they will influence uh, kind of how you move forward. And then the second step I feel like is the phase of getting your tools together, getting your like, it takes a village, you know, gathering your friends, your resource gathering, I guess. And it's more I call it circling the wagons. Circling the wagons, <laughs> doing your research, and gathering your resources. I can't emphasize that enough because this is not something you're going to want to do alone. You're going to want either a very, very supportive spouse or a friend. Uh, or a therapist or someone who is going to support you and help you. Uh, you know, you're, you can get a psychologist that you see when you are trying to deal with your own emotions and they can help you do the things that are necessary, which means now going on to the chapter is getting funding in place. Like all these questions that you guys are asking, figure out your funding options because this is not something that's going to just be one year or six months. It's going to be three to five years at least. So figure out your insurance. Your, there are questions here about regional centers in California. Every state, I mean, people have written books about resources, but the thing is that they change, right? They're constantly changing. So look up all the resources in your state call the parent associations, call the ASA, call the Autism Speak. Start asking questions and figure out where you can get funding, what resources are available for your child. Unfortunately, nobody tells you that. It's like autism is such an interesting uh, disability that like you kind of have to research it all yourself, you know? And then as you gather your resources and you feel like, okay, I have funding, I have people who are going to help me, that's when you start looking at the therapies, right? And this is where, for me, I feel like the most important thing, if, if I was going through this with my child, these are the steps I would take. The first thing is I would want to make sure he is, has physical health. And his physical health means he is, uh, you know, I'd want to get his gastrointestinal system checked out. I'd want to make sure he doesn't have a lot of inflammation there because a lot of our kids do, right? And they have diarrhea or, or constipation and they suffer from that. I'd want to make sure that he doesn't have allergies. And if he does, I want to get him on the right diet. Um, I want to make sure that he is sleeping well. These are extremely important things that will then just kind of um, stabilize and make the child feel well enough to receive the therapies that you're now going to give them, right? Sometimes I'm like, how are we supposed to do 25, 30 hours of ABA with a child who doesn't sleep? You know, he's, I wouldn't want to do that much tutoring if I'm not sleeping, you know, all these. So make sure the child is healthy physically and then we go to the mental health stuff which is if your child is is anxious depressed 
Um, all, you know, somebody else wrote in just has like a lot of different issues with anger and these things are not able to be dealt with behaviorally. Then you want to look at medications for that. Like some of the parents here who are taking or whose children are on SSRIs or, uh, you know, antipsychotic meds, all of those things are kind of preparing your child to receive learning. And that's really important. And sometimes part of that is also taking care of your child's sensory issues, right? So like if the child can't, uh, some of our kids are brilliant kids, but they cannot learn unless there's a visual stimulus or they're completely distracted in noisy environments. Those types of things you can also modify for the child. You want to make it an ideal learning situation. So that when you do ABA, which is the primary thing that you should be spending most of your time, the child's learning rapidly, right? And they're not feeling sick. They're sleeping. They're not on a food that's making them hyper or allergic or distracted. They're, they don't have gut pain or inflammation. They don't have constipation or diarrhea. They're good. They're healthy. They're mentally all there and they can focus and learn. And then, of course, some of our kids need additional support services, things like speech therapy to get their speech going or occupational therapy to kind of help self help them regulate their body. So it's kind of all of those types of things. And that's what I'm trying to put all of those steps together. Because And then, of course, as soon as you can t take a breath and say, OK, I have all of my program going you start thinking about school, right? Because yeah. most of our kids, obviously, you then have to find the least restrictive environment for the child and make sure they have support and are successful. And then not to mention, I'm a big, big fan of finding your child's um, genius because I think every child has some genius. And if you can find that, honest to God, everything else falls in place like drawings, art, music, sport. I mean, so our kids are just mind-blowing when you see the stuff they can do and it's the way they express themselves. So then, you know, all of those things are important. There's a lot. I love that the friend has said it's been a minute since we've I've dealt with newly diagnosed and I don't know the best way to support her. And I just want to say, you know, the I think, that right now as a friend, the best thing that you can do to support is if you live close enough, say, I, I would like to pick a time this week to come over and I'm going to sit with your child for two hours. What do you, and ask the person, what do you need to do the most? Do you need to make phone calls during those two hours? Do you need to lay down and take a nap? Do you need, you know, I'm, but I'm going to keep your child safe for two hours. You're, you can be in the house while I'm doing it. But, but I think the thing that we need the most when we're newly diagnosed is to know that we have someone that's there for us. That just knowing that is so helpful and knowing that someone likes our child and is willing to be around yeah. our child because too often we're left feeling like our child is a pariah. And as you start telling friends and family, they're like, I don't know how to deal with your child. It's still a human being and a child. It's, it's not that crazy. You know, just be with them. And you know, because you have an older kid on the spectrum, you know exactly how to be with them and just hang with them and play what they're playing. It doesn't have to be any great struggle. So, but we all needed that break, right? Someone that we felt safe being with our child and that, and then help them 
maybe next week you come back and say, okay, now you got to call those ABA companies and get on the waiting list for one of them. Or now you need to figure out what your insurance is. Or now let's go through the cabinet and see what your child is eating that isn't necessarily healthy for them. But, but they need rest too. Let's not forget that. I did want to transition though. We're, we're getting close to being out of time. The teaching lady wrote in, and I'm so glad you're here to answer this, Dr. Grampiche, wondering what the medication is for a three and a half year old that shows physical harm to others when denied access or told no. If ABA doesn't work to tame his aggression, what are our options? Yeah. But at three and a half, can we really say that ABA isn't working yet? Yeah, no. I mean, I think that you know, here's here's my take on it, and I I apologize because I know that it's very hard for parents when their children are aggressive. So it's kind of like you just want to fix as fast as possible. But I truly believe that you know, and let's start with this: aggression of any kind is not part of the diagnosis of autism. In fact. None of the challenging behaviors that your kids do are part of the diagnosis. They're just not in the diagnostic criteria. So hitting, screaming, biting, throwing, pushing, none of this is part of autism. So, you know, I'll ask you, why do you think your child is doing these things? And the answer will always come back. They are frustrated and trying to communicate something. And so this is the same with any young child. If you think about it, why is it that as adults, we don't tantrum, although some adults do tantrum. Um, And why is it that, you know, two-year-olds do tantrum? And the reason is because they they can't find the words fast enough to express what it is that's making them frustrated or what they need to calm down. And that happens with our kids, just as it happens past age two. So they just, you know, they learn that if I'm if I want something, I will hit someone and I'll get it. Um, if I don't want to do something, I will scream and they'll leave me alone. So I am a strong believer that those types of things are sign of um, frustration. Now. So, so therefore, the solution is to do is to understand what the individual is trying to communicate and teach them a more adaptive way to communicate it so that they can get what they need, right? So like if you really want to get out of a situation, can I teach you to say out or time out or I need a break instead of screaming and hitting? If you really want access to something, can I teach you to just like give me a picture of it or point to it? instead of hitting or, or pulling. So those are, that's, those are kind of the behavioral techniques. Now, that being said, it is very positive. Not a, usually at three and a half, this, the next part of what I'm gonna say doesn't apply because three and a half, the behavior that hasn't really been ingrained, like we haven't learned yet. So it's possible to change it behaviorally. Sometimes though, we have children who are very, very sick, very ill, they have, underlying medical issues that have not been identified or resolved perhaps some you know subclinical seizures perhaps they have a very very extreme sensitivity to light and sound uh, there's something else that's causing this irritation and aggravation and i would like to find out what that is and see if i can treat that 
to reduce the frustration, reduce the anger, and so on. Risperdal and those types of antipsychotic medications don't really treat the cause. What they do is they numb the response. It's kind of like when you take Tylenol for a headache or Advil or something, you're not really identifying what caused the headache. You're just basically blocking pain receptors. And it's kind of the same thing when you take something like Risperdal. And I think the parent had written they're also taking clonidine. A clonidine well, something. And she also has written in, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but that he had a yeast belly, belly and, and C. diff. Yeah, okay. So C. difficile is very, very hard yeast to get rid of, and you want to deal with the yeast before you deal with anything else. I would not go the route of an antipsychotic like Risperdal. Clonidine is usually given for sleep. If it's not helping, get off of it, talk to your doctor, and get something else. I mean, a lot of our kids do very well with just melatonin. But talk to the doctor about this and work on getting rid of the yeast. yeast plays havoc with our kids. It's crazy what yeast can do. It's unbelievable. Like you have kids that are just laughing for no reason, kids who can't sleep at all, kids who have severe inflammation in the gut, kids who have diarrhea 10 times a day, all kinds of stuff. And it comes back to yeast and a bacteria like C. difficile. You have to get those treated. So uh, talk to, if you're, I'm not sure if it was the same parent who's dealing with the MAPS a doctor, but if you're not, that is probably the best place to go. And they're all over the the world, really. Maps, um, yes. Med Maps uh, is their website. Also, before we run out of time, um, because we have a couple of people in Holland, I, I just remembered the name of the organization in Germany, and Holland being so close. These folks in Germany, it's called. Uh, Knospe ABA, K-N-O-S-P-E ABA. And they actually send uh, BCBAs to other countries in Europe as well. K-N-O-S-P-E. Knospe with an E at the end, yeah. K-N-O-S-P-E ABA. Yep, there you go. Uh, okay. Amazing. There's so many things that we didn't get to, um, but we'll try to, well, I want to remind everybody that, um, Dr. Grampy Shea is also available on TikTok, that she's answering some of the questions that we don't get to. If you've either sent them into us, um, or we will try to get some of these over to her so that she can potentially answer them on TikTok, but do check her out on TikTok. It's a great way to have a conversation I just so appreciate everything that everybody wrote in today to help and surround each other. Amanda, I want you to know you do have people. Uh, we may not be right there, but you have people. I just wanted to say that. Uh, and you have been so helpful uh, always with a kind word to somebody else. I hope that, that your, your close-knit, because I know you just moved, I hope your close-knit community shows up really soon. Because I believe that there is a community where you are uh, in fact, there's somebody I'd love to hook you up with, but um, lots of questions about diet and we just don't have time. We're out of time. You guys, I do want to thank all of you for being here. We'll be back next week with Dr. Grampy Shay. I can't even say your name today. What's that about? Um, it's because I got, I'm trying to get so many words out at the same time. I want you guys, I want this on your radar that tomorrow we're tentatively scheduled to have Kobe Bird on. 
He is the young actor that first he was on Speechless, then he was on The Good Doctor, then he's then on the first two seasons of the amazing Netflix show Lock and Key, which if you haven't watched, you should watch. Now, he wasn't in as many of the episodes for season two, but there was a new announcement about season three the other day, and it's kind of breaking news, and we're hoping to have him on tomorrow. Now, he might be pulled away to be on set. If that happens, we'll reschedule with him for the following week, but we'll have somebody else. Great. We have somebody standing by who will be on the show if he is not able to do it. But if he is able to do it, you guys, he is just the most delightful young man, um, diagnosed at four on the autism spectrum, has overcome so many challenges and is like an actor at the highest level now on a hit show for heaven's sake. Um, So he'll be here and he's so inspirational. So love that. Then on Thursday for Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy, Nancy Allspot Jackson will be joining me. And we've got two, count them, two authors who are going to be here with us. One of them who is the author of the In Sync Child series. And then the other one is Lee Maraday Porch, who you guys probably know her. She's a great blogger, hilarious, has finally put out her first book. And in it, apparently there's a section about when she was supposed to be on Autism Live and she had to cancel last minute because so much was going wrong in her house. So uh, she, she wrote to me and said, I'm sorry. And I was like, what are you talking about? Um, but we, now we've rescheduled. So she's going to be on tomorrow, uh, Thursday. So really, really wonderful. So absolutely uh, amazing week. And of course, Dr. Grampichet will be back with us next week. We're all out of time. Thank you, Dr. Grampichet. Thank you. All of you love, love, love to all of you. You know what we say? We hold hands. We say for you. Uh, We'll be back tomorrow. Until then, give your kids a hug from me and one for you, too. Bye-bye for now. Thanks.